Welcome back to the EGWA podcast, uh, coming to you live and direct from EG's Ipswich boardroom here in sunny Ipswich today. We have a very interesting show ahead. Every podcast from EG is interesting, but this one is especially interesting because it's about young people. So we can unpick some of the issues affecting diversity, uh, affecting the way coding is taught, and affecting the impact that has on the software we use and businesses of the future. So joining us today, we have Matthew Applegate, who is the founder of the Creative Computing Club. He's also a mentor. He's a BAFTA award winner and a Microsoft award winner as well. Welcome, Matthew. Hello. Also today, we have from EG, Julia Hunter, who is a software developer, but she also has led the Coda Dojo initiative here at EG. We'll be hearing more about that later. And she also runs a code club. Hello. And joining us here is Inky Simmons, quality engineer and UX designer. Hello. And also joining us is George Markham, who is a relatively recent graduate and you're a software engineer here at EG. Hello. Great. So you're the voice of the young people. Okay. So, because I can't be, I'm obviously the oldest person in the room. I'm Andrew Walker. I am a freelance writer. Uh, I, I'd like to say I'm an old friend of EG's, but the truth of the matter is, is they haven't changed the code on the door keypad yet. So I keep letting myself in. All right, so the first question I want to ask, just to sort of frame it for the people who are listening, why do we need to teach coding at school? Matthew? Coding, as uh, a good friend of mine, Bill Thompson, said, is the language of the 21st century. Uh, if you don't understand it, you can't really take part in it, in, in all of the things that are going on in the world. You are quite limited if you can only speak the spoken language of English, if you want to learn the language of technology, it is code. So in terms of um, code, I mean, I think code is an important thing to be taught. I mean, when I was at school, uh, the kind of IT lessons was pretty much as much as just learn some, like how to use Word, how to use Excel and things like that. We didn't really touch very much on the coding. And I think it's important that they make it kind of a more known thing for, for kids these days because, like, what are the developers of the future going to be like? You know, where are we going to make the developers of the future if they're not, if we're not getting them interested at a young age? Yeah, um, where, yeah, when I was at school, I think I was one of the last students to do the old IT courses before they trained, so I, I completely missed all of the exciting stuff that they get to do now. But I... Um, <clears throat> I had to self-teach myself how to code um, because there was quite literally no way and no one to teach me in school. So I think it's great that um, there's sort of uh, coding classes being taught actually at secondary school now rather than just at A-level and beyond. you got to get kids interested and, uh, you know, like you said, it's the, it is the language of the 21st century. Everything is code. I also think that if, you know, as, as you two were mentioning, that if young people aren't aware of that these opportunities they're ne never going to go for them and a lot of the work you know we're doing at the moment is in primary schools to make them aware from a very early age that this is something they can choose when they go into secondary um, because it isn't promoted enough actually in secondary because um, quite often secondary schools aren't capable of teaching it very well so they don't tend to promote it as well so we are preparing them from a very early stage to be able to go into secondary school and say, I want to be a developer, I want to go and do this, I want to make this. Um, because if we don't, they won't speak up about it. So, yeah, it's very important that they are aware of it. Julia, why do we need to teach code in schools? So I'm quite concerned, really, thinking ahead to the future. Um, the fact is that technology is already affecting our lives hugely. 
20 years, 40 years down the line, that, that's going to increase exponentially. I don't think children today at school really appreciate the degree to which they need to be getting a grip on how technology affects their lives and, and understanding how it works. And so I think that making sure that children are understanding the fundamentals at an early age is, is so important. This leads us on now to the, the current state of play. So it's important that we're teaching coding in school. Now, it's five years since the national curriculum was changed and the old ICT course, which, which you did, George. Yeah. So, wow, you're really out of touch with the young folk I am now. incredibly out of touch. I'm very <laughs> old. So you did the old ICT course. They, they didn't have ICT, obviously, when I was... They didn't have computers when I was at school. No, that's not true. They had a BBC Micro, and we used to play Lander on it, which was uh, an awesome game. Um, but that, that was it. So... Five years later, since they started teaching coding and replaced, it, replaced ICT with uh, computing, surely everything's fixed and everything's fine now. Um, not exactly. It's still very much in its infancy. The problem we're having is those IT teachers were originally geography teachers, and those geography teachers who are now pushed into IT are now, now being expected to teach programming, and they don't have the relevant skills to do so. And there hasn't been a set period of time to put aside to allow them to train. There's not been adequate funding. There's not been adequate opportunities. So although they are trying, um, they are quite often very unsuccessful in doing so. Um, because, you know, these are teachers who have been pushed down a route because they were good at the printer. So the geography teacher was good at the printer, so he's now IT. But now, because he was IT, he's now computer science. Um, these aren't people who are, you know, dedicated and passionate, you know, towards computer science. They are just the people who are in the room. And it's, is it kind of like the difference between lots of people work with software all day long, whether they realise it or not. Most people have got a computer on their desk. But it doesn't mean they know how it works in, in the same way that we all might drive a car, but we, we can't necessarily change a spark plug. Very much so. We do need both types of people. You know, we do need people who can you know, use the software, but we also need people who can make the software. Um, the problem is we're producing way too, you know, way too many people who can use the software. And actually, most software, you retrain and relearn when you get a job. You relearn the software that the company uses anyway. So it's kind of a little bit irrelevant to train that at school when kids are using apps uh, with far more um, you know, significant abilities at home, um, you know, they come to school and they're getting bored with the stuff that they're learning at school because actually they're doing way more interesting stuff at home with technology. So the problem is we need to really, really push coding in schools and, you know, run CBD sessions for teachers, give them opportunities outside of school, give them time off to develop their skills if that's what they're going to teach. So, Julia, what was your route into... Uh, software engineering. How did you find yourself in that? Because presumably you missed out on uh, coding education as well at, at sort of younger age. We did have some BBC computers at school, um, but mostly I wasn't really very interested. It, it didn't. Um, it just didn't get me interested. The idea of working with computers, um, but I was technically inclined, and I went and studied engineering first of all. Um, and then I did one of the conversion courses, um, which are still available, there's lots of conversion courses to take people with degrees into computing, and I think that's still a very popular route. And so that's how I went into computing. Um, but yeah, it wasn't something that initially was a fascination for me at all. 
Um, now, presumably, that is a different story for Inky and George. Or is it not? Is it a different story for George because Inky's too old? Well, I mean, I can. my interest in computing kind of came from, I guess, being in IT lessons. We did do one very short kind of week on um, coding where we used a program called Scratch, where it was just kind of to build a game. Uh, since then, I was always getting into trouble in IT lessons because instead of actually doing the work, I was opening up Scratch and building my next game. <laughs> so I wasn't actually following the uh, curriculum with uh, Word and Excel and all that just because I wanted to, when I'd learned that I could actually make games rather than just play them, I then wanted to make loads of stuff and kind of work out how they all fit together. Uh, I then went to college and I did kind of like web design and a lot of web development stuff there, which kind of cemented to me that, yeah, this is definitely what I want to get into. And then after that, I was looking for apprenticeship. And, uh, well, I've, I've been here ever since my uh, IT career started. Yeah, so um, actually quite similar. We, we had uh, one lesson on Scratch. Um, and I thought, oh, this is cool. You can actually do stuff with computers instead of just staring at them. But I, um, I was a musician. I've been playing guitar for... A long time and I had a little sort of studio set up with an old Apple eMac and um, trying to get my guitar plugged in to record stuff got me interested in how it actually worked because I did, had no idea how to record anything that I wanted to do so um, that sort of led me down uh, learning more about the internals and things and then I sort of went through the higher education process through that. So I didn't ask you, Matthew, how you got into uh, coding. <laughs> um, well, I got my first computer when I was 10, and I broke into my first military bank when I was 12. Um, it was, basically I was stationed in Germany on an American Air Force base, and there was very little to do apart from tinker with computers. Um, I wasn't punished, luckily. Um, I actually got more access to military computers, and ended up working with uh, Army payroll computers in Kreuzberg, uh, West Germany. Um, I got kind of known as being a computer hacker um, in terms of breaking the security of video game systems, not in a dangerous way, but in a way that I, w I wanted to kind of enable developers to make their own software on the machines. Um, so I would break Nintendo security in two weeks when they really released a new machine so people could make software on it. Um, again, it, it, I wasn't punished for it, and actually now I'm an official Nintendo developer, um, it, because of the things I did in the past, actually. So it's so to be clear, yeah. you hacked a military computer. Yeah. Um, now no, that sounds like the beginning of a, an awesome movie or a, a lengthy prison sentence, but you you avoided. It was before that they took that kind of thing seriously. So I think the laws came in about the, the laws that would have affected me came in just after. Um, but it, actually, it was the fact that. Yeah, I didn't actually get caught for breaking into the online system. I got caught breaking into the actual bank because they used the same password on the actual door, which was Ronald Reagan, R. <laughs> Reagan. So it kind of sets you at the time. Um, I just was fascinated by computers. And, unfortunately, you know, I was a straight-A student in American high school. Absolutely loved it. We could use computers. We got these things called Macintoshes, that, you know, donated to us by um, Apple, and we had an after-school club, and that was you know, really transformative for me to be able to go there, not be forced to do work, but to be able to explore code. Um, I came over to England, went to Charlie High School. They told me I would never work in computers. I would never be smart enough to ever work in computers, um, and they didn't have any computers I could use. 
So I left English school without any qualifications whatsoever, having my confidence absolutely destroyed. Two years later, I was snapped up by one of the biggest technology companies in the world. Getting teachers to teach code was quite a controversial move. There was a lot of challenges uh, that were raised by teachers' unions at the time about you know, the expectation that they were going to have to skill up in something that is, is really quite challenging. And presumably, this means that there are a few gaps in the way that coding is taught that are difficult to bridge for young people who are then going through the educational system and want to go into coding later on. So here we are in an agile development company, and presumably you can't just leave school having been through the coding provision there and walk in here and get a job, right? It's more complex than that. Uh, I think that we have in the past um, offered apprenticeships to people. Well, Inky's um, proof of that. Um, so it's not to say that it's impossible if somebody has the aptitude, but I suspect what would be said would be that you would need to demonstrate the aptitude. So whether that was developing it via a club such as the Creative Computing Club or just by being able to show that you've um, developed these skills on your own, I think that the impetus is, is really to, to get involved in coding and get practical experience however you do that above and beyond what you learn at school. And you run the Coder Dojo here. Can you tell us more about that? Is that the role of the Coder Dojo, to actually bring young people in and, and give them a, a sense of what they're going to need to, to have if they want to do something like an apprenticeship or, or go into software engineering through a different route? Well, the Coder Dojo is um, it's an organisation that facilitates events for children just to come along and have a go at something to do with coding. So this might be children who've got lots of experience already, or it might be children who haven't done anything, or perhaps what they do at school isn't very hands-on, they're doing lots of paper-based activities instead of writing code. Um, and it's free to access for everybody, so it's completely inclusive. Um, and the library hosts these events for us, and we work in partnership with them, the Ipswich Library, that is. And um, we just go along and facilitate, we have resources, and the children just turn up and tell us what they're interested in or, um, or we suggest something and they just have a go. So it's just, just a way to get a taste of something really. Um, if perhaps they're not, they don't have the sort of environment at home where they can do that easily or they're just curious. So it's just an opportunity for people to have a go. And is that the same kind of uh, mission as the Creative Computing Club? We're a pipeline essentially from primary school to employment. Uh, we, you know, do run introductory sessions, but we're a bit more long-term. So students tend to stay with us for about four or five years um, through their GCSEs, A-levels, and then when they're off to university. We also do a lot of uh, work with getting the students apprenticeships. We get them teamed up with companies, uh, summer jobs. So it's a lot more of uh, kind of in-depth learning about the students um, because we do work with a lot of students who are on the spectrum. We you know, work with kids who have learning difficulties, so we have to learn about them and how we can fit them into the world of technology. Um, I think Coda Jojo and what they do is really, really important to get young people a taste of you know, getting involved in technology, and that can lead on to them either self-learning or, or joining a computing club um, to kind of develop their skills further. But what we do is, yeah, we are essentially a pipeline from eight years old all the way up until employment. anticipated outcome of uh, having greater emphasis on computing and coding in school was obviously to try and affect the diversity of the 
um, sort of coding community because traditionally software is has had been characterized by uh, predominantly male, predominantly white sort of geek characters. Uh, mentioning no names, I'm holding my hand, both hands up here. You can't see it because it's a podcast, but yes, when I was involved in computers, I ticked all of those boxes, also overweight and uh, exercise averse. Oh, well, I'll take those as well. Um, have you seen a shift in that sort of stereotype? Is, is there a more diverse software marketplace out there? I think there is now. I mean, the if you look at the stats from the Roehampton report, I think it's like twenty percent of uh, of uh, GCSE students are female, and then you look at A levels, and it's even less. Um, but I think if you go to a code club, um, that's actually significantly different. We actually work with forty eight percent females or people who identify as female. So that diversity is coming through. It just might not be coming through when it comes to choosing exams. And that's why we, our work in primary schools, we think, is really, really important to encourage these young people that, you know, you can go into whatever, into whatever you want in technology. Now, I know Julia's thought about this one quite a lot because there is a big drop-off, isn't there, between primary school and secondary school to do with educational choices. So what do you think is behind that? I've thought about this a lot and I really still don't know. I think um, my experience has been the same as, as Matthew's in that primary school age there seems to be there seems to be a lot of interest from girls. Um, and I don't know if it's the kinds of things perhaps that we're we're doing with clubs at that with that age group. So for example, I volunteered in primary schools before at the primary school that my children went to and I used to run a lunchtime club and I would have at least half would be girls in the club. Um, and we would be working on Scratch and we'd be working on building animations. We used to work towards a, an animation competition and they really, really loved it. And uh, so I, I know that the interest is there at that age, but I don't know when they go to high school if they're working on different kinds of projects or different kinds of technologies or if it's the learning and teaching methods that you use. I'm not sure what it is, but by the time they go to high school, it's no longer perceived as being something that's interesting to girls. And I don't know if you can shed any light on that, Matt. Um, a lot of schools I work with are very limited on their class sizes. So even some of the biggest high schools will only have 20 computer science students, and they have to pick and choose which students go into that. And I don't know why it is, um, uh, you know, why we're having such low numbers, but it's, um, it is a real issue. It is uh, it's something we highlight. George Inky, you're the ones who were most recently in education. Have, did, did, did you get a sense that this was a boys' club? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, definitely. When I was uh, undergrad, me and Julia were talking earlier, um, there was sort of 300 students in the School of Computing, um, and I think I counted 15 um, women in that sort of cohort. Out of 300? 300, yeah. So something, like you say, something's happening. Um, that actually changed when I did my master's. Um, there were no women on the um, advanced computing course, but there was sort of um, a significant number on the um, conversion course. Um, so it, it's obviously something is going wrong um, about getting women or, or just sort of people that don't identify as white men into technology. 
as a non-binary person, I literally currently do not know any other non-binary people that are actually involved in the tech. And that's something I've kind of hoped would really change. I, I think the encouragement needs to be there as well for anybody who's kind of like not cis white male to get into tech because anybody can do it. It's not about, you know, your gender. It's not about what you look like. It's literally just if you have the interest, you could you can go there and you can do it. You know, no, nothing is stopping you. And I think that we really need to kind of put that to everyone and just kind of say, look, it doesn't like doesn't matter what's out there right now. It's like if, if you have the interest to do it, then, you know, you should go ahead and do it. You know, I want you to hold that thought because we're going to be coming back next week to do another session uh, about uh, education, coding in schools and the issues that arise from that and how it's affecting the software business with our experts. So I'd like to say thank you very much to George Markham. You're welcome. And to Inky Simmons. You're very welcome. To Julia Hunter. You're welcome. And to Matthew Applegate. Thank you very much for having me. And don't forget to join us next time on the EG Way. That's uh, EG spelled I-J-Y-I, pronounced EG because everything we do is a great example of coding. And you'll find us at EG Limited on Twitter. Finally, I got it right first time. Yes. All right, I'm clapping. No one else is laughing, but trust me, if you've been in the other podcast, you'll be like, you know, thinking I'm a god. Uh, Okay. Uh, sorry, I, I just, no, maybe not a god. I'll take a demigod. Maybe I just, I don't know, maybe just a, 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 a totem of some description. A garden gnome would be, you know, a, a better state. I'll take garden gnome. Is that, is that true?